Greetings, brethren. Welcome to the Feast of Tabernacles, day number one, 2023. The Everlasting Kingdom. And we know that the Feast of Tabernacles pictures many, many different things. And we can't cover all of these in one Feast of Tabernacles, or two, or three, or four, or maybe five, or maybe even more, because it encompasses the whole Bible. And as we know, God has put all the holy days in Leviticus 23. When we start out a holy day or a feast, of course, that's where we begin, because that's where God gives us the time setting of when to keep the feast as well as the Sabbath. And you know, the first part of it has to do with the weekly Sabbath, and the weekly Sabbath sanctifies all the other feasts and Sabbaths as well. So here we are, the Feast of Tabernacles, and let's come down here to Leviticus 23, and let's pick it up here in verse 33. Now, just in case there may be someone out there who thinks that these holy days and feasts are for the Jews, okay, that is not true. And also, the children of Israel are not encompassed in the one tribe of Judah. There are 12. And of course, you know through our book, America and Britain in Prophecy, their biblical origin and their prophetic destiny, that we are of the 12 tribes of Israel. And probably in America, there are all remnants of all the 12 tribes as well as most of the nations of the world. That's because in America, it's the last place in the world that the truth of the Bible can be preached and heard. Now, it goes out around the world through our various uh, digital means that we have available to us. But it originates in America. Now, we know the Protestants... They have the name of Jesus, but that's about all they have. There are other churches of God who are preaching the truth, and we wish them well and hope that they stay true to the word of God. So here we go. Leviticus 23, verse 33. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month, shall be the Feast of Tabernacles seven days to the Lord. Now, it's not maybe, it's not optional, it is shall be, because God established it. On the first day shall be a holy convocation, you shall do no servile work. Seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, and you can read that in Numbers 28 and 29. On the eighth day, so here's another day after the seven. 
Okay, so we'll get to that a little bit later. Okay, now then, we're to bring an offering to God whenever we come before him on his holy days. Now come down here to verse 38. Besides the Sabbaths of the Lord and besides your gifts and besides all your vows and besides all your free will offerings which you give to the Lord. Okay? So, God shows that this reflects what he wants from us. Okay? Now, in taking up an offering, we also have another place in Deuteronomy 16. So let's go there and read that and read it into the record so that we have it for the holy day. And God tells us, okay, Deuteronomy 16 and verse 16. Now, as you're turning there, let's understand this. The whole basis of everything that God wants is based on the first and primary commandment, which is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And when one of the doctors of the law heard Jesus quote that properly, he said, you have well spoken, Master. And he said, you are not far from the truth. And that's the truth. That's what it has to be. So Deuteronomy 16 and verse 16, three times in a year shall all your males appear before the Lord your God in the place which he shall choose. Now then, when they had the temple, all that area around there was the greater festival area. But now that we are scattered around the world, the place that he chooses is where God opens up the way for us to have the Feast of Tabernacles at various locations. And many of us today, because of the way that circumstances are and the world is, we're scattered and can't get out and get to the various feast sites. So we're very thankful for all the digital means that we have of getting this out to everyone who is scattered. Okay? And it required all the males because the women, some of the women had to stay back and take care of, the, of new infants, to take care of childbirth, take care of those who are aged and infirmed. Okay? All your males appear before the Lord your God in a place which he shall choose. In the Feast of Unleavened Bread, in the Feast of Weeks, and we've kept those already, haven't we? And there's great meaning to it. Yes, indeed. And in the Feast of Tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty. Everyone, or man, shall give as he is able. Now notice the next sentence here. Because this helps us understand 
that God is going to bless us when we love him, we serve him, we keep his commandments, we keep his Sabbath and holy days. He always will. He will see that we have sufficiency for the things that we need. According to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given to you. Okay? So at this time, we'll take a pause and we will take up an offering. Thank you very much, brethren, for the offerings and that you give and the tithes and offerings that you send in on a regular basis. And we always use it to preach the gospel, to serve the brethren, to produce the things that we need so we can learn of the way of God and grow in grace and knowledge. We're not out here to have great, wonderful, expensive things. We don't need them because all of the great expensive things are going to be given to us when we're in the kingdom of God, and that will be far greater than anything that we can generate in this world today. And furthermore, we will have eternal life because we will be in God's everlasting kingdom. Now that's quite a statement, isn't it? And if you could give another name to the Bible, you could say the book of the everlasting kingdom. Because all the way through it, it talks about God. It talks about his rule. And it talks about his plan. And it talks about when he's going to do it. So the everlasting kingdom, let's come here to to Psalm 145, and let's see what a tremendous thing that that is. And the whole thing that we have is the everlasting kingdom. And the only way we can live there is that we live forever too right? And yes, and that's why we have the Feast of Pentecost, okay? Psalm 145. This is quite a psalm, really, when you get into it, the whole thing. But let's come down here to verse 8. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. That certainly is true. Slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Because God loves us, he has called us, we have known the purpose and continue to exercise that. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All your works shall praise you. Now, I don't know how some of these things that are not living beings can praise God. So we'll just have to be in the kingdom to figure out how that's going to be. We know that the energy that comes even from just 
like a wooden desk like we have here, that's something we don't quite understand, but it's there. Okay? All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. Because we love God, we serve him, and we bless him and thank him for everything that he does. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. That's preaching the gospel, right? And everything about it. Now notice verse 13, because this establishes it for all time. Now just think of that. God has called us, so we're part of something that is eternal forever. Now verse 13, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. Okay? Now that's something. An everlasting kingdom. That's quite a thing. Now then, God has revealed this in step-by-step ways in the Bible, and he's made it known. So let's look at it in the book of Daniel, and let's see what we have there, because the book of Daniel is very interesting, because it contains the major outline of all prophecies in the Bible, and how that God deals with all nations. So this is quite a thing. We won't get into the details of it, But let's see that after the dream and vision of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel was able to tell him what the dream was and what he saw and the meaning of it and everything concerning it. And actually, that image of Babylon, starting with the head of gold coming clear down to the feet and legs and toes of iron and clay, is the whole history of the world. Now, that's quite an amazing prophecy. Now, let's come to verse 44. Let's see, because this brings us up to date, what's just as in the near future ahead of us. Verse 44. Now, in the days of these kings, the God of heaven, not the God of this earth, Satan the devil, but the God of heaven shall set up a kingdom an everlasting kingdom, which shall never be destroyed. Now, we're all part of that, brother. And a kingdom shall not be left to other people. We'll see that again a little later. But it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. An everlasting kingdom. Now we know that the one who is going to be king, we will see in a little bit, will be the one we know as Jesus Christ. 
and we're going to be part of that kingdom, and we are going to rule and reign with him, as we find in Revelation, the 20th chapter. So that everything we are doing now is preparation for that time. Okay. Now, let's come to chapter 4, and let's see something very interesting, because the Bible tells us in Jeremiah 18 that God is always judging the nations. And if a nation is doing well, that is following along with as many commandments of God as possible, he will bless them. But if that nation sins and rejects what God has given, then there will be punishment. And we're seeing that today, right now, right here in America and in Western Europe because we're the descendants of the children of Israel in the end time, and we are abandoning God. Okay? Now, Nebuchadnezzar was ahead of gold. And that's what started the whole image all the way down to the feet and toes. So let's read this. Actually, when you understand it properly... Daniel 4 is an epistle from King Nebuchadnezzar to all the rest of the world. Listen. Verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar to all people, nations, languages that dwell in all of the earth, and we can add to that, down through time, because there's always been God's word. It seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High has done for me. Because of the experience that he went through, having lost his kingdom for seven years, and turned out into the pasture as just a a wild beast. How great are his signs? How mighty are his wonders? His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. Then he tells the, the whole account of what got him into trouble. And what got him into trouble was this. His sins... And his arrogance of thinking, oh, look at what I have made. Aren't I great? Bang! He lost his mind for seven years. Well, that's quite a thing. Okay? Now, let's see what happened at the end of that seven years. Verse 34. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. Now, notice what he did. And this is what we need to do whenever God delivers us from any trial or difficulty that we are in, and lo, we have plenty of those. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him who lives forever, 
for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Notice how often that is repeated. That should really tell us that God always rules. He's given rulership over to men because men and women, beginning with Adam and Eve, have chosen to go their own way, thinking that they can work out everything themselves. Well, (laughs) what does the history of the world show us? Since there's Satan the devil around also, that is never possible. And through the whole history of man, they have never succeeded except in just a few short periods of time that God has blessed the people of Israel. Otherwise, it's war and death and famine and uprising and disease and sickness and everything going wrong. Okay? Now notice verse 35. Notice how humble he was here. And all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. See? What does it say in Isaiah 40? All the nations of the world are like a drop in the bucket. All nations. So that tells us how great God is. And then after that, God says, look to the heavens above and look what I've made. And I call them all by name and number them. Then he challenges man. Who has ever been a counselor to me? Or who has ever instructed me? No one. Nebuchadnezzar really learned that lesson here. Notice, counted as nothing, and he does according to his will in the host of heaven, that is the whole universe, and among the inhabitants of the earth, okay, all inhabitants of the earth, all made in the image of God. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what are you doing? Okay. Then after all of his advisors and all of his subordinates came and made obeisance to him, then he said this, verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and honor the king of heaven, For all his works are truth. Think of that. And his ways, justice. And the final sentence here. And those who walk in pride, he is able to abase, regardless of who you are. Now that's quite a thing, see. But the whole thing we want to understand is the everlasting kingdom. Okay? So that's quite a thing. 
All right. Now let's come to Daniel, the seventh chapter, and see a little bit more about the kingdom. Because here, Daniel 7 gives us a rundown of, in another form, of everything that was in the big idol of a man starting with a head of gold. It gives it in a little different way to show a little time setting when these things will occur. Uh, Let's come to verse 17. Let's see the summary of this from God to Daniel. See, now if you want to know about this, you send for our series, the Daniel and Revelation series. And that's an extended series going through all the scriptures, putting all of these things together so you have an outline of what's going to happen. Okay. Verse 17, Daniel 7. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings that are, shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High. Now, in the New Testament, the Most High is the Father. And saints means those who have been made holy because they've received the Holy Spirit. And they have been perfected with the word of God through living and worshiping and serving and growing in grace and knowledge. Okay. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever. So here at the Feast of Tabernacles, we're going to learn that it's talking about how we're going to live with God. And what it's going to be like. What his kingdom is going to be. And the Bible tells us that. And it tells us, as we will see, how are we going to get into the kingdom? And what's going to happen to those who don't yield to God? Where will they be? All right. They shall possess the kingdom forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth concerning the fourth beast, which was different from all the others exceedingly dreadful, whose teeth were of iron and nails of brass, and who devoured in broken pieces and stamped the rest with his feet. Then he talks he wanted to know about the ten horns and so forth. So then verse 22. And all of these things occurred until the Ancient of Days came. All right? Now that refers to God the Father and also indirectly to the return of Jesus Christ. And judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. Now that's quite a thing, isn't it? We're going to talk about judgment here during this Feast at Tabernacles. And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. That's quite a thing. Now, right at the end, we're going to have to fight for it. Okay. Then he talks about the fourth beast and so forth. Now, verse 25. And he shall speak words against the Most High. Now, we're living in that time right now. Everything is against God. 
Everything is against anything to do with God. Even those who profess to know God follow part of his words, but are not necessarily the saints, even against them. There's a lot of trouble and difficulty today, such as we have not seen since the Inquisition days. Okay. And he shall speak words against the Most High. Now, that means the beast power as we know it in Revelation 13. And shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the set times and laws. Okay? So this beast continuing down through time did change the set times and the laws, right? Look at what Satan has done through the Catholic Church to the laws of God, and what he has done to the laws of God in every one of the other religions of this world. And we're seeing now at this time that they're all coming together. So that's quite a thing. And if they have, if they come out with an artificial intelligence Bible, it's going to be the greatest fake Bible ever devised. You wait. Think to change the set times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a times, times, and half a time. And there are two ways of figuring this time, times, and half a time. Number one is the long term, and number two is the last three and a half years. Now let's come to verse 26. But the judgment shall sit, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and to be destroyed unto the end. Every last thing of the kingdoms of men are going to come to an end because the everlasting kingdom of God is coming on the earth. And we're going to administer it to all people, all nations, everywhere in the world. So God has given us the greatest calling possible to help him, to assist him in Christ, to bring peace and love and order in God's laws and God's ways, and God's blessing to the whole world. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Think of that. Okay, We'll look at a scripture in Romans for just a minute here and see what that entails. Okay whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. That's the title of this message. Everlasting kingdom. And all kingdoms shall serve and obey. There's that nasty word that people don't like. Obey him. So the bottom line will be, Everyone's either going to love God and obey him and want him and desire him, or they won't be. 
boom. It's that simple. Now let's come to Romans 8. Let's see how this applies to us and how that God is working with us to prepare us, to educate us, to train us so that we can be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. And then we're, we're resurrected and on the sea of glass. Come to Romans 8. Okay. And we have to be there for four months because we have so much to learn and know and do before we can come down with Christ to the earth and start ruling the earth. That's quite a thing. So you go back over the things that we did on Pentecost. Because in order to take over the world in its most destroyed state up to that point in history that has ever been, is going to take a lot of understanding and knowledge so that we know what we're going to do and know how we're going to do it. Okay? Romans 8, in verse 14, because this is important, because having the Holy Spirit of God is the most important thing that we can have at this time. And God gives it to us. And we are to ask God to use the Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to help us understand his word, to worship him, to serve him, to love the brethren, to serve the brethren, and everything about our life. See? And all of that is summed up in that first commandment of loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and being, and strength. Doesn't it? Yes. Okay. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now think about that. How many in the world fall into that category? Well, today, very few. Because it's like Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find the faith, that is the true faith, on the earth. It's going to be hard to find. Now look at the next verse. Verse 15. Now you have not received a spirit of bondage again under fear. That's the spirit of the world. That spirit emanates from Satan the devil because he's the prince of the power of the air. And he can emanate those spiritual powers toward people who come after him. Okay? But you have received the spirit of sonship, which comes from God. God the Father. Now you put in your notes there, John 14, and read about what it says, beginning in verse 15 to the end of the chapter. You have received the spirit of sonship, whereby we call out, Abba, Father. That's the highest sacred name possible. That you acknowledge that God is our Father. The God Most High. Verse 16. 
The Spirit bells witness conjointly with our own spirit, testifying that we are the children of God. And God has a great plan for us, which is pictured by all of his holy days, but in particularly the Feast of Tabernacles and last great day. Verse 17. Now, if we are children, we are also heirs, truly heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If, so there's that word, circle that. If indeed we suffer together with him, so that we may also be glorified together with him. Okay. Now notice the next two verses because this tells us what's going on in the world and why we keep the Feast of Tabernacles as well as all of the other days of God. Okay. Verse 18. For I reckoned that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. What is it going to be like to be a son of God, a daughter of God, uh, and have the ability to shine like the sun. What is that going to be like? So you see how great the calling of God is. Okay. Verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creation. Now, how then important are you and all of the saints? going clear back through history. How important are we to the whole plan of God, to the whole purpose of God? Let's read it. For the earnest expectation of the creation, for the earnest expectation of the creation itself is awaiting the manifestation of the sons of God. Why? Because we're going to straighten out the world and bring them the truth and the way of God. Verse 20, because the creation was subjected to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who subjected the same in hope. Okay. And then he sums up what it's going to be all during the millennium and the 100-year period in the last great day in order that the creation itself might be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And that's us, okay? One last verse. Verse 22, for we know that all the creation is groaning together, travailing together until now, and not only that, but even we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit also groan within ourselves, awaiting the sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So that's quite a thing. To an everlasting kingdom. Now, we'll take a break and we'll come back and we'll look at some other things, especially the teachings of Jesus Christ, which tell us 
how do we get into the kingdom? So we'll take a break and be back. All right, now let's continue on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles, 2023. And let's come to Isaiah, the ninth chapter. Now, Isaiah 9, we have covered this in the past, but this is central to everything else that goes on in the plan of God and for the redemption of mankind, for the first coming of Christ, for his second coming, for setting up the kingdom, for sitting on the throne of David, and for being an everlasting father. Okay, so let's pick it up here in Isaiah 9. Now, when I asked Michael Heiss, I said to him, how do the Jews understand Isaiah 9, verse 6 and verse 7? And he said, they don't. See, because when you reject the first coming of Jesus Christ, how are you going to understand the prophecies concerning his first coming, concerning his birth, concerning his gospel? Okay? So let's read it, because this verse 6 and 7 of Isaiah 9 encompasses in a summary, and not in chronological order, the whole work of God through Christ. Verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Who? That's an awful lot in just one verse. Let's look at that again. This talks about his first coming. Unto us a child is born. And we find that in Luke, the first chapter. We'll see that in just a minute. Unto us a son is given, and a government. Okay? And that's what's wrong with the world today. Every single government of man is rotten to the core. That's why the kingdom of God is coming. And that's why it has to be an everlasting kingdom. And that's why it has to be for those who enter into it that they love God and serve him and are part of God's overall purpose. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God. Think about that. How can a child be born to become the mighty God. Now, if you don't have the New Testament, there's no way you can understand that. And to this day, the Jews are looking for a physical Messiah. The everlasting Father. Now then, 
there is God the Father. How then can Christ be called the everlasting Father? Because he's going to marry the church, correct? Revelation 19. And the church will be all the resurrected saints, correct? Yes. And we're going to help bring people to conversion and to receiving eternal life all during the millennium, correct? Whose children will these be? The children of Christ and the bride. And that's when he becomes an everlasting father. And he's everlasting because he's eternal. Okay? The mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Because it's eternal. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment, with righteousness from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So when God says he's going to do it, guess what? It's going to be done. Now you can take that statement and you can go through the Bible and apply it to everything in the Bible because it is the word of God. All right. Now let's come to Luke, the first chapter, and let's see the part of this fulfillment concerning Jesus, that is the word of God, becoming Jesus the Christ, born of the Virgin Mary. Now, Luke, the first chapter. Now, we've got a special short series which you can download, which is entitled, How Much Did Mary and Elizabeth, Her Aunt, Know? Because when you read Luke, the first chapter, and Luke, the second chapter, and all that they say about what was going to happen, they were actually inspired by the Holy Spirit to prophesy of these things. And the only reason that we have these words is that they probably wrote them down to commemorate what was going on because it was a great thing that was happening. Elizabeth, who was beyond childbearing age, was pregnant with John the Baptist for six months until Mary received the begettal from God the Father to bring forth a son, a child, and his name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. All right? So here's what happened to Mary. Now, that's going to be quite a thing. One thing we're not told anything about is this. In what position in the kingdom of God will Mary obtain? We don't know. So the best way we're going to find out is be there at the resurrection, because she will be, and be there on the sea of glass, 
and be there when Jesus presents all of us to God the Father. Okay? And we receive our rewards, and we are told what we're going to do. Okay? Now here's what happened. Verse 26, chapter 1. Okay? Because this is the king who is going to be the heir of the throne of David and of the government of the world. Verse 26. And in the sixth month of her pregnancy, that is Elizabeth, the mother of John, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the lineage of David, and the name of the virgin was Mary. And after coming to her, the angel said, Hail! You are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Now that means all women. Quite a thing, okay? Amazing. And when she saw him, she was greatly perplexed at his message and was considering what kind of salutation this might be. You know, that doesn't happen every day. Here she is in, a, in her house, and all of a sudden, boom! Here's angel Gabriel saying, Hail Mary, you're highly favored of God. What does this mean? <laughs> okay. And so she was considering what this might be. Now, verse 30. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, because you have found grace with God. And behold, you shall conceive in your womb and give birth to a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now listen carefully, because this ties in everything in the Old Testament for the beginning of the New Testament to show that it is a continuation of God's plan. Next verse. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. So the Lord God of the Highest in the Old Testament was the one who became the Father in the New Testament. And the Lord God shall give him the throne of David, his forefather, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob into the ages, that is, into the ages of eternity. And of his kingdom there shall be no end, an everlasting kingdom. Okay. Then Mary said to the angel, how shall this be? since I have not had sexual relations with a man. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit shall come upon you, and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. And for this reason, the Holy One being begotten. Now that present tense participle, right at that moment when he was speaking, being begotten in you shall be called the Son of God. So the everlasting kingdom is going to be quite a thing. Now then, let's jump ahead. 
Let's see, let's see what Jesus did when he began preaching. What did he preach? Okay. Well, let's pick it up here in Mark, the first chapter. All right. Mark, the first chapter, after Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist and he was coming back from that, verse 13. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and was with wild animals, and afterwards angels ministered to him. Okay? He had to defeat Satan the devil while he was in the flesh. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, that he was completely weak, and he had to depend wholly on the Spirit of God. See, because that's the humility he had to go through to become king, as prophesied in Isaiah 9. And then afterwards, angels ministered to him. Verse 14 now. Now, after the imprisonment of John, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now, gospel means the good news of the kingdom of God. So see how the kingdom of God threads through everything that there is in the Bible. Now, here's what he said. The time has been fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And he was the one at hand. Okay. He was standing right there. God manifested in the flesh, preaching and teaching. What's the first thing he said? Repent and believe the gospel. Now, to believe the gospel means not only do you believe it, you embrace it, you keep it, you live by it. The gospel is about the kingdom of God. Let's come to Matthew 6.33. Let's see how we are to respond to God. Let's see what God wants us to do so that we can be the saints as prophesied of to rule and reign with Christ. Okay? Matthew 6 and verse 33. Notice how this ties in with what Jesus preached. The kingdom of God is at hand. Now, in every generation, that means it's in hand to that generation and every succeeding generation down to his second coming. All right, verse 33, Matthew 6. He's saying to the disciples here, but as for you, seek. Now that means search for, go after, find out, seek first. Now that's the first thing in our life. To love God, to serve him, to keep his commandments, which then brings us into qualifying for the kingdom of God. And that's how we qualify. Seek first the kingdom of God, 
and his righteousness. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Now what is the righteousness of God? His commandments. What is the righteousness of God? That we have our sins forgiven and we have direct contact with God the Father and Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit within us. And this is to lead us and motivate us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Okay? And all these things, all the good things that you desire will be added to you. Come over here to chapter 5 and verse 48. Now this expands on what it means to seek the kingdom of God and to seek his righteousness. What is it to do for us? How are we to live? How are all these things going to be put together? All right? Verse 48, Matthew 5. Therefore you shall be perfect. Perfect. Now then, that perfection can only come through the Holy Spirit of God. And that perfection is a process over time. That is called perfecting. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, Paul writes that the whole purpose of the whole ministry is for the perfecting of the saints. See? So we overcome our human nature. We with repentance every day. We'll see that in just a little bit, okay? That that's important if we're seeking the kingdom of God. And it's going to be, as we started, an everlasting kingdom, and we will live forever, all right? Verse 48 again. Therefore you shall be perfect even as your father who is in heaven, is perfect. That's the ultimate goal for every one of us to be in the kingdom of God and to serve God and to rule and reign with Christ. And only God can do that, see? That's quite a thing. Now, top all of this off on what God said he's going to do. Come here to Luke, the 12th chapter. See? Because God and Christ and the angels and everything there, they're all busily working, carrying out the prophecies of God and bringing about all the end time things to happen and develop so that the family of God can be born at the resurrection. That's the key thing they are looking for right now. Now come here to verse 31, Luke 12. Okay. Again, it says, let's read it, but seek the kingdom of God. Okay? And all these things shall be added to you. So don't feel deprived because you have a difficulty. Don't feel God is against you because you're going through a severe trial. He'll see you through it. That's why we're here. 
And think about that. In some ways, because of all of the, all of the ability of our digital world to interfere into our lives and our minds and our hearts, in some way, we have a more difficult time than other people in the past who never had the flick of the switch and the world is invited into your home. Huh? No. Okay. So he says, verse 32, do not be afraid. No, trust God in everything, regardless of the circumstances. God will work it out. He'll take care of it. He looks at the long haul, and sometimes we get impatient and are demanding of God. Well, we need, just need to repent of that and put ourselves in God's hands, okay? Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father delights. God is pleased. God is happy. God is joyful. God is exuberant in giving you the kingdom. See? So everything we do is figured in on the kingdom of God, right? Okay. So that's quite a thing. All right? Let's see how we're to pray. Let's come back to Matthew, the sixth chapter. See? Because all of these are the teachings of Jesus Christ on how we attain to the kingdom of God and what God is doing with us. Now, let's look at this prayer, this model prayer. Now, this model prayer gives us a general outline on how we are to pray. The general things that we need to have in every prayer. Let's pick it up in verse 6. Matthew 6 and verse 6. But you, when you pray, enter into a private room, and after shutting the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret shall reward you openly. See? Not vast, long prayers for the public to be heard by someone, and someone comes up and says, Oh, that was such a wonderful prayer. Well... We pray not to be seen of men or women. We pray to be heard of God. Okay. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that the multiplying of their words, they shall be heard. And that's exactly what the Catholics do. The one they have, Hail Mary, and then the one they have, Our Father, and you just repeat that over and over and over and over again. Repetition does not bring anything into your heart in the way of loving God and serving him. See? Because when we pray, we're pouring our hearts out to God. We're looking to God to help us and guide us because of the great reward that he has for us that we're going to be in the kingdom of God in an everlasting kingdom, and we're going to rule and reign with Christ, and we'll see tomorrow how we're going to help straighten out this world. Okay? Now then, do not pray like them, for your Father knows what things you have need of before 
You ask him. Now that's quite a statement. See, God knows. God will be there with us. See, God doesn't want to do anything so we get lifted up in our vanity. No, because that's all human nature. And that gives an opportunity for Satan to work. Okay. So then he makes it very clear how we are to pray. Therefore, you are to pray after this manner. Our Father. Huh. Remember what we covered concerning sacred names? The most sacred name of all is our Father. That's higher than anything given in the Old Testament. Okay. Because this is a direct relationship between each one of us and God. We've received the begettal of the Holy Spirit from the Father. And there are two parts of it. The begettal from the Father to be a son or daughter of God, and also of Jesus Christ to develop the mind of Christ. Those are the two parts of the Holy Spirit within us. Our Father who is in heaven... Hallowed be your name. That's the holy, sacred name of God, our Father. Now notice the first thing we ask for. Your kingdom come. All right? We're always looking for the coming of the kingdom of God. Now, for everyone from the time of Christ up to right now with us, all who have been faithful and died, that prayer is yet to be answered for all of us at the same time when Christ returns. But when we yield to God and we keep his laws and commandments, we are under the jurisdiction of the kingdom of God. We're not in it because the kingdom of God has not come to the earth yet. But we are under the kingdom of God. As Jesus said, the kingdom has come upon you. Not that it is here, but you're yielding to the authority of the kingdom of God. All right. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, that's quite a comparison, isn't it? Yes. All right. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Okay. That means our sins. Because when we sin, we've created a debt that needs to be paid. And that debt is called, in Colossians, the second chapter, the note of the debt of of our sins. Okay? As we forgive others. That's a real key. We need to forgive others. And lots of times, people, and even within the church, do not forgive, and therefore, they get themselves all worked up into frenzies and angers, angry and difficulty and things like this that come along. Okay? Because you're not seeking the will of God with a perfect heart. You're, you're seeking God to do your will. Okay? Lead us not into the temptation. 
and temptations can come in trials. Okay? But rescue us from the evil one. And boy, don't we need that today. Yes. For yours is the kingdom. Now notice, starts out, your kingdom come. It ends up for your kingdom. See? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So notice what that is. That's quite a thing, isn't it, huh? Yes, indeed. Okay. Now, let's come to Matthew 12. Verse 24, Matthew 12. This is when Jesus was casting out demons. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, prince of the demons. Okay? But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city and every house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Isn't that interesting that he says that Satan on this earth has a kingdom? Does he have his followers? Oh, yes. Does he have the leaders? Oh, yes. Does it look like they're going to succeed? Come very close to it. Yes, indeed, that's what the book of Revelation tells us. Okay? But it shall not stand. Because what's one of the first things that's going to happen when we return to the earth from the sea of glass? Satan is locked up. Now, when it talks about Satan being locked up, that means all the demons as well. Quite a thing. Now, continuing, verse 27. And if I by Beelzebub cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? On account of this, they shall be your judges. Now, notice verse 28. Because whenever anything comes with, as the power of God, from God, notice what that represents. But if I by the Spirit of God cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Okay? In other words, now you are going to be judged by what the kingdom of God stands for. Now, let's also see something else. Let's come to Matthew 19. Matthew 19, we will see, you cannot buy your way into the kingdom of God. Now, everyone wants to be in the presence of God with blessings. And everyone wants to have eternal life. 
And so Jesus was preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and how to receive eternal life. And so we have this account of the rich man coming to Jesus. So let's read it, Matthew 19 and verse 16. Now at that time, one came to him and said, Good master, what good things shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Okay, now that's very interesting. I can do this. Sound a little bit like Job? <laughs> okay. See? So Jesus answered him. Now this is quite an answer, really. And he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except one God. Now why was that? Because even though he was God in the flesh, he had to have human nature. So before God, he was not perfect. And he was not God because he was in the flesh and had just enough God in him so that he is God manifested in the flesh. But because of carrying human nature in him, he could not be called good. All right. Then Jesus continued. But if you desire to enter into life, keep the commandments. Now the Protestants like to say, well, he didn't say anything about the Sabbath. But they forgot to mention and know, even understand, that Sabbath keeping was the law of the land at that time. Now verse 18, then he said to him, which commandments. Just tell me, just which one? Because he was doing a lot of them, okay? So Jesus said, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now notice the young man, he's sitting there, Oh, boy, I've done these all my life. All right? And the young man said to him, I've kept all these things from my youth up. What do I yet lack? Oh, I'm almost there. So here's what Jesus said. If you desire to be perfect, now we covered that, right? We're to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect, and we are being perfected at this time, right? Okay. If you desire to be perfect, go and sell your property and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. See? Now, isn't that required of everyone? We're not to let any. If we're going to enter into the kingdom of God, if we're going to receive eternal life, we can't have anything at all between us and God. That's what he's saying here. And it was the riches that he had. 
Now notice, and after hearing this word, the young man went away grieving because he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is extremely difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. See? Why? Because they have so many things that they look to because that gives them a sense of power and belonging. And God wants us to have the Holy Spirit, which is the power of God, not the physical things in the world. Now, verse 23, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is extremely difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Okay. And again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God, equating kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God together. Now, the disciples, not yet being really converted, after hearing this, the disciples were greatly astonished and said, who then is able to be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Now that has to do with getting into the kingdom of God. So God has called us to his everlasting kingdom. And he has called us to really yield to God so that we are being perfected. Now, tomorrow, we're going to see and answer the question, what are we going to be doing in the millennium? And how are we going to straighten out this world? So thank you for being here for the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles, and we will see you tomorrow.